Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The FT. Hello, and welcome back to the FT Arts Podcast. I'm Neville Hawcock, the FT's Deputy Arts Editor, and this week I'm joined by the paper's pop critics, Ludovic Hunter-Tilney and Richard Clayton, to look forward to this summer's pop festivals and, along the way, to ask whether pop itself has become too backward-looking, whether it has succumbed to retromania, as the pop writer Simon Reynolds' new book terms it. Richard, you're off to see the start of the Meltdown Festival on London's South Bank tonight. It's been going since 1993. Is this looking like a good year? Well, I'm not sure it's necessarily a vintage year, although there's a nice tie-in because uh, it's Ray Davis who's curating it this year, and, of course... um, Somewhere along the line, he's going to have to be playing Waterloo Sunset, which is always nice on the South Bank, particularly in the anniversary year of the Festival of Britain. Um, But the big thing is, uh, in the build-up to it, has been a sort of will-they-won't-they rapprochement between the brothers Davis, obviously Ray and Dave. Dave said, I'll do it if uh, if Ray will do it, and and Ray said something similar a few weeks later. So the question is tonight, will they be on stage together for the first time since Lord knows when? Um, I'm not sure, but that's certainly whetted my appetite for this gig. Uh, there's also a Kinks um, reissue programme just started as well. Their first few albums coming out with uh, all the requisite bonuses and, and what have you. Ludo? Um, yeah, I think it looks like it uh, should be um, quite an interesting meltdown uh, lineup that uh, Ray Davies has chosen. I think it's more varied than uh, maybe one might expect. A great London songwriter such as himself has picked certain bands you would expect, like Madness. But then there's a yes, there's it- an interesting sort of um, there's a New York no wave theme with people like Lydia Lunch turning up. I never thought the Ray Davies would be a Lydia Lunch fan. She's a sort of 1980s uh, New York avant rock noise terrorist, I suppose one might say. <laughs> how, how do we define no wave? No wave is the um, uh, brutally stripped down version of New wave that uh, began in, in New York in the 80s, in which uh, all forms of, uh, of uh, melody were absolutely stripped away and a proper lo-fi racket was yeah, made. Talking of brutality, they've got the Sonics playing, who were obviously a mid-60s uh, garage band who played all those kind of old R&B tracks, much much like the Kinks did to start with, but, but really stripped down and, and, and angry uh, garage rock. So how they'll manage that in their advancing years remains to be seen. Um, even older than them are the Fugs as well, who were real sort of uh, 50s beatniks who turned into sort of um, original original hippies and played lots of very political um, kind of stuff. Um, one of their number has, has died uh, in, in recent years, but um, they are they are back uh, and performing that their stuff. So that'd be interesting. Ludo, you're uh, you're off to the Glastonbury Festival in a couple of weeks' time. Can it offer anything to to match that? Indeed, it can. Neville Glastonbury can always uh, can always match any musical lineup that uh, you wish to uh, come up with. And um, in this particular case, um, Glastonbury's got a remarkable uh, double act uh, turning up on the same lineup. No, none other than Morrissey, the uh, singer with the Smiths, and the Wu Tang Clan, the uh, New York street rappers from Staten Island, who will be sharing the bill on Friday night. Uh, interesting to think about the uh, state of the dressing room that Morrissey might find as he uh, comes along to play when it's been vacated by, by the clan. Not many daffodils. No, and I don't think they're vegetarians. Um, 
uh, there might be a few uh, half-eaten uh, ham sandwiches. Um, and I'm also looking forward to uh, uh, the headliners for Glastonbury this year. It's uh, It's got U2, who were meant to play last year, of course, until uh, Bono's uh, back problems went and... Uh, meant that they had to pull out to their great uh, dismay. But they are now headlining this year on the Friday. On the Saturday, we've got Coldplay. Um, and on the Sunday, Beyonce will be following her husband, Jay-Z, who headlined a few years ago. One of the one of the things I'm looking forward to there quite a lot is, is U2's uh, set for, for two there's, reasons. There's been some controversy there's about U2, hasn't there? There are two reasons why. Is that uh, U2 get a, lot of, um, get a lot of flack for all of their... Um, uh, campaigning, but Glastonbury is in fact the right setting for such a thing. But part of the flack which you two get for their campaigning is their somewhat um, opaque tax arrangements, which saw them move a certain amount of their tax business from Ireland to the cheaper ta- ta- tax jurisdiction of Holland. And uh, they've been threatened with a protest by Art Uncut, um, an offshoot of the Tax Uncut protesters, who are threatening to raise up a huge bundle of inflatable money and float it between an Irish flag <laughs> and, a, and a Dutch flag. And it will be very interesting to see how Bono, who's a, who's a chatty sort of a front man, will, uh, will uh, make of this. So the, the campaigning ban is being campaigned against? The campaigning then? ban is being campaigned against. That's exactly right. Pop will indeed eat itself, a theme we will be coming to later. Indeed, yeah. indeed. And I suppose the other thing also is whether they um, preview any tracks from their new album, which they've working on with Danger Mouse, I believe. Interestingly, so, um, that actually, um, I'm glad you mentioned that, Richard, because it's just been announced that they've had to push that back. It's been quite a bad time for U2 lately, in fact, what with the fact that they've now become the focus of sort of uh, progressive political ire. But also, their new album, which they were producing with Danger Mouse, but also Red One, who is Lady Gaga's producer, mm-hmm. has now had to be pushed back to 2012. The Edge has professed himself to be gutted by this, and has said that whilst the tracks with Danger Mouse were thought to be doing the sort of thing they want, those with Lady Gaga's producer Red One, surprise, surprise... <laughs> <laughs> had not worked out quite as planned. So I don't think we're going to be seeing uh, you two uh, waving their disco stick in the near or future. Or arriving in, a, in an egg or in a sarcophagus or something I like wouldn't that. be so surprised <laughs> if they arrived in an egg. They do go in for their high-tech stage, oh, that, yeah. um, their high-tech stage uh, um, routines. But uh, no bad time for you two. Um, it'll be interesting to see how they do cope with this headlining slot. I think they're at a crucial point in their, in their career. And the other, the other band, which I, I want to mention, is a personal favourite, I think, of um, Richard's, but not of Michael Evis's, who is Glastonbury's uh, organiser or co-organiser now. Um, Evis is is unhappy about the presence of the Wombles um, <laughs> on the on the lineup. He doesn't. He's not happy about that. He says there's loads of um, all, loads of uh, stages, and he can't uh, filter everything which comes through. He said, I've got about 25 stages and managers and bookers for each of the stages. I can't control every single one of them, but I do get cross about that kind of thing. The booking of the Wombles. That's a bit of a lukewarm endorsement, if ever I heard one. Well, there has been a repost. There's been a repost from uh, Great Uncle Bulgaria, who Wombles (laughs) fans may remember as one of the Wombles, um, who uh, ventriloquised by their creator, Mike Batt, (laughs) has said that uh, Michael Evis probably doesn't realise what a fantastic live act the Wombles are. Uncle Bulgaria, says Blatt told me he thinks Mr. Evis is probably perfectly aware that festivals like his are so popular because they offer an eclectic mix for everybody. I think the great Uncle Bulgaria is correct. Um, one thing I'm, I'm curious to ask uh, both of you, since you're both off to see festivals, is do, do festivals uh, bring out the best in bands? Um, or are they best avoided? I, I gather that uh, Adele, um, the very successful uh, singer, is very unkeen to do festivals. She says the thought of an audience that big frightens the life out of me and, and she, she will not do them. Adele is an interesting case. She's been allowed not to 
uh, play at festivals by her, her record company, XL Recording. So uh, she hasn't been forced to go and tramp around all of these festivals that she clearly does not like at all. Um, but she is very much the exception. I think that the festival circuit is so well established now as part of the music calendar that bands have to uh, go and... Uh, either submit themselves to it or in the more general case do them quite happily. I've noticed that Coldplay headlining Glastonbury are also headlining at the Rock am Ring in Germany. Um, they're headlining at Tea in the Park up in Glasgow. They're headlining Rock Werchter in uh, Belgium. They're also headlining Oxygen in Ireland. So in other words each of these big festivals has got Coldplay turning up and I might add many of the other sort of uh, similar suspects too. The Arctic Monkeys are playing at them all. Blink 182 are touring the touring Europe. Kings of Leon are turning up here and there. So it's um, it's a completely um, uh, it's a very important part of, of, of going out there and selling your music. Well, Coldplay clearly have a, a busy summer coming up. Uh, again, by a fortunate coincidence, we have a, a clip of Coldplay's new single, Every Teardrop is a Waterfall. Uh, so let's uh, listen to that. Well, yeah, this is this is Coldplay um, basically trying to do a hands in the air festival anthem, and um, there's there's been a, um, a bit of digging into the background of this track, and, and the piano riff at the start um, was originally in um, a '70s um, song, a sort of uh, samba song by an Australian chap called Peter Allen, um, but it was also in. Um, one of Simon Cowell's early works, a 1990 um, very cheesy rave track um, by uh, a band called Mystic, who was basically just um, a bloke with a keyboard and a, and a model who wasn't even the real singer. Um, so anyway, yes, it's it's Coldplay going for the uh, the Ibiza sort of anthem. I, I think it's um, extremely cheesy. And we should also um, mention that the title is uh, possibly the wettest song title ever, even by Coldplay's impressive standards yes. in that particular... Um, in that particular genre. It's called Every Teardrop is a Waterfall, which, to my mind, conjures row upon row of Coldplay fans turning on the waterworks as Chris Martin lets out one of his uh, lugubrious yodels. Yeah, well, and of course, Chris Martin, known for his um, every man sort of any interpretation possible kind of lyrics, um, but he's got a good one in here. He's talking about um, Turn the Music Up, My Heartbeat is my favourite song, but then he there drops this one about um, I'd rather be a comma than a full stop. Which, I mean, if had that appeared in kind of prime 60s-era Dylan, we'd all be, you know, trying to get to the bottom of. But uh... I think this this song has very clearly been written with the festival season in mind. I mean, it's got a, a line in there which is uh, utterly vague one and very unlikely, I might add. But it's, so you can hurt, hurt me bad, but I'll still raise the flag, which, you know, heard baldly makes very little sense. But in fact, in the festival context where you get people waving vast flags... At Glastonbury, if you see the crowd there for these big stages, there's a mass of waving flags. It's like some sort of medieval pageant. There you can see this line is custom-made in order to get those flags, waving all the more vigorously. It's yeah, a festival and this, song. This, this song is a bit like um, Vida La Vida, the, the other one they did recently in the last album, but it's a kind of constant build. It never fully really sort of delivers on that build. Um, and somebody said on, on, on YouTube, in the comments box, that it's, it's sort of custom-made for one of those sporting highlights packages on the TV. Um, and it reminds me of, you know, sort of going into a gym, which I seldom do, but sort of being press-ganged into a sort of step class or something. Um, so that's another reason why I'm not a great festival fan. <laughs> you mentioned, Richard, the um, sort of, um, what, what would we say, the, the evolution of the uh, new sort of Coldplay single. It's uh, obviously reaches back... Uh, it's got various influences. Doesn't this play to um, 
the thesis in Simon Reynolds' new book, which I mentioned at the beginning, uh, Retromania, the idea that, uh, as, as the book puts it, that pop culture um, is addicted to its own past. And, and don't, I think perhaps we see this a little bit if you look at the people who are playing at a lot of these uh, festivals, at, at uh, Glastonbury, people performing at Glastonbury, we've got you 2 and uh, Paul, Paul Simon. B.B. Uh, King as well. I mean, yeah. there's, there's, there's a lot of... Uh, yeah, well, there's, there's a couple of things going on here, isn't there? I mean, the fact that obviously these, these old rock dudes are still around and still on the on the campaign trail and, 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 and you know, bands, coining it bands in. Bands like Pulp as well who will be turning up. Yes, absolutely. But also I think his point is that we've basically heard all the sounds that, that, that Rop and Pop can probably manufacture in that sort of 20-year glory period between, say, roughly 65 and 85. Pretty much every sound um, that uh, Rock and Pop and come up with has, has been created in that point, uh, that, that period of time. Um, and now we're just kind of uh, shuffling those elements again. I mean, that seems to be his point. And, yeah, I, I take up to a point, I think. What do you reckon, Ludo? I think I think it's, it's um, so he makes some very interesting points about the way we experience music now through the prism of the past. About the uh, taking away of the shock of the new is something which Reynolds um, argues is is been uh, lost to today's consumer of pop music. Um, and I think that the idea that this would also happen not so much in the mainstream, but also amongst uh, people who would have once seen themselves as being avant-garde or types or sort of uh, tastemakers are also very interested in in the past and recycling it. Reynolds mentions an L.A. indie musician called Ariel Pink, who goes by the name of Ariel Pink, whom he likes a lot, who reworks lots of 80s soft rock and, 80, and 70s soft rock and 80s funk type, um, yeah. very cheesy songs into a sort of uh, hipster argo. Um, but the fact that this has now become so all-encompassing, it does seem to me that it is, uh, it's, it's the way we, we experience our music now through what has happened in the past. Yeah, I mean, well, so, he, Simon Reynolds is, is, is very worried about this, uh, this development. If I can quote from the book, um, from, not off mm. the top of my head, uh, I hasten to add, he says, This kind of retromania has become a dominant force in our culture to the point where it feels like we've reached some kind of tipping point. Is nostalgia stopping our culture's ability to surge forward, or are we nostalgic precisely because our culture has stopped moving forward, and so we inevitably look back to more momentous and dynamic times? Well, I think he's conflating a, f- a few things there. I mean, certainly is, he is diagnosing a problem, I agree. I mean, but I imagine, you know, the Romans were nostalgic for the Greeks, weren't they? So, I mean, that, that kind of looking back thing has been there from through, through all time in some respects and certainly in rock terms I mean the first thing you say to a band is you know who are your influences so you know that that's always been there and the Beatles were sort of aping early R&B the Stones are doing likewise there's always been people looking back you know Dylan was looking back at Guthrie wasn't he I mean over shorter time periods um yeah, isn't his argument that at the same time people were doing new things which they, is not happening now so at the Wellston you had you had uh, the Beatles doing that yeah. I mean you also had Pet Sounds yeah, well, that, that's, that's what I said in that go, in that kind of golden period. Yeah. But then he still he says he likes you know some of the shuffling of the other influences. I mean, he, the one of one of the bands he he likes is called um, O Tricks uh, Never Point Never, um, which is a strange name for a, for a New York um, electronica guy. And he has a nice phrase for it in one of his other guises actually, where he talks about making echo jams. And he does a very interesting track. Um, I think his his um, band name is called Sunset Corp for that. And it's it's a remix of um, the awful Christa Berg's Lady in Red. Um, but it's actually very, very charming, very um, hypnotic kind of electronic um, suite almost that he's, he's, he's put it into. So, you know, Reynolds is having his argument both ways. I think extent. that in a sense, we've seen the death of shame when it comes to music, that in the days of uh, old, there would be types of music which were seen to be infra dig you were not meant to enjoy, like 
Lady in Red. Obviously, many people did enjoy it. They bought it and propelled it to number one. But uh, amongst the sort of uh, people who felt that their musical opinions mattered, the sort of... Uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, well, for them, these, these people were not to be liked. But now we've had uh, club nights called Guilty Pleasures, which ransack sort of old hits from the past that were seen to be very cheesy. I mean, there's very little which actually... Uh, which, which people feel you cannot enjoy anymore. This, yeah. is, this is true. I think, the, um, th- th- for example, prog rock used to be beyond the pale. When I, when I was growing up and uh, punk was happening, it was, it was ludicrous to like prog rock. But now the serious radio programmes devoted to uh, prog rock. As oh. your long hair and uh, <laughs> handsomely <laughs> astute face testifies, Neville. And, um, my, and my Hawkwind T-shirt, yes, yeah, indeed. Yeah, that's right. Um, I, I also think that uh, it, there's quite a lot of good music at the moment which is being coming out inspired by the past Adele's 21 I think is a, is a great album which is completely indebted to the past I mean um, Fleet Foxes are another interesting case who sound exactly more or less exactly like Crosby Stills and Nash and uh, yet also I think managed to use that that form of backwardness to try and think about moving forward we're talking of uh, Fleet Foxes let's listen to a quick uh, clip of their song uh, Helplessness Blues whose lyrics I think um sum up some of the uh, issues around Retromania. I was raised up believing I was somehow unique Like a snowflake Distinct among snowflakes Unique in each way you can see And now after some thinking I'd say I'd rather be a functioning cog in some great machinery serving something beyond me. So this um, is the title track of their new album, which is um, the uh, follow-up to their breakthrough debut. And um, the lyrics there describe a sort of um, sense of... Uh, wanting to be original i was raised up believing i was somehow unique like a snowflake and then acceptance of unoriginality now after some thinking sings robin pecknold the singer i'd I'd say i'd rather be a functioning cog in some great machinery and i think that this whole song is about the idea of recycling in a way which is quite interesting i think that one sort of thing which could be added to reynolds's retromania argument is that uh, in an age when we have a glut of products and uh, when that glut of products actually appears to possibly be uh, contributing to, say, something like climate change, there might actually be an interest, instead of coming up with new things, in recycling the old. Is it possible then that pop music, the ultimate consumer culture, could find a way to point us towards a post-consumer age, which would be truly progressive in a way that I think Reynolds would surely approve? Only you, Ludo, could argue that uh, picking over the remains of the past is, is truly progressive, I think. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, I'm not sure I'm going to get into involved in, you know, speculating on that. But what is interesting is, is Reynolds does talk about how the whole kind of um, crate digger sort of um, enthusiasms of, of of musos, you know, in terms of finding all those very um, unusual records, that's kind of become the real sort of modus operandi of what people do now. And he, he talks about um, the Bohemians becoming kind of curators and things like that. And I think that that, that is true. And the sort of the way they operate with their the, the sounds that they put together is salvage and citation. So I think that that's all you know quite interesting um but with with this point about youtube sort of putting everything of the past there i'm i'm not sure if it's necessarily retrogressive as so much as a kind of eternal present in a way it's just like everything is there so you know why not take what you want from it but then i but uh, <clears throat> t- uh, tie, tie in with that uh, thinking about the launch this week of the apple icloud by steve jobs who announced its launch it'll launch in america in autumn and here in britain next year this is a scheme whereby you can remove your music from your computer and store it upon some remote server 
They call it a cloud. In reality, it's some vast data silo yeah. stored wherever. And uh, this will be a way of moving away from the computer as being a way where you keep your music instead of which you'll be able to always stream it. It's also a way, although actually Apple will only let you do it to music you own, if you were to take the Spotify model, whereby you stream any music, are we then moving towards some future where we rent our music? We no longer own it. This is music that we simply pay a fee rather like to a jukebox to listen to, and we won't no, we'll no longer own it. That would encourage a sort of eternal present because we won't have any sort of uh, music of our own. Yeah, that's, that, that's true. I don't know. I mean, I, I'm a bit of a Luddite and I've always thought that the iPod was just a sort of glorified Walkman anyway. Although this, this does sound like it is a bit more of a, a, a step forward. But I hate the way they, they, they launch it. It's like the easiest way to manage my content. Well, this isn't my content. This is my record collection. This well, is, these Richard, are my CDs. Your content, your content, CDs, CDs furnished you Ryan on of bearded men with guitars. Well, I mean, your content does it needs it needs a lot of managing. It needs trimming. I'm I'm very happy to manage it. That's part of being a music fan, isn't it? I mean, at least it always used to be. I I can't get with all this. Uh, I agree. The content. It seems like a very unromantic view of music. Content. I mean, that we move uh, delivery is all content is somehow secondary. Well, thank you very much. That's all we have time for this week. The arts podcast will be back soon. Um, thanks to my studio guests, uh, Ludovic Hunter Tilney and Richard Clayton, and to you for listening. The arts podcast was produced by Griselda Murray Brown. Goodbye. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the Internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources, uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellincat.com.